Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. January 26, 2020, episode 163, weather. Hello everyone and welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. I am your host, Kevin England. Yeah. I've been on a bit of a break from recording, the reasons of which will become known as we progress through the episode, but this podcast, of course, has been on my mind. While it may take me a bit to shake the rust off, I'm honestly happy and pleased to come back to the program and get back into the groove of producing shows on a regular basis. I've had a nice break, spent time with my family and As it is with everyone, I'm sure, much has happened since the recording of the last show way back there in November. I plan to bring a mix of things to this show and talk a little bit about the direction of the program for 2020. And I kind of got a sense that some wondered if I threw in the towel and decided to walk away. And some have sent some notes saying they missed the show and hope we come back soon which is gratifying to me and appreciated that people actually do miss me. I'm back and I'm ready to start. So let's talk about what we have in store for this episode and go ahead and get going. For the first topic, I plan to review the South Africa recap, which is where I left off the last time I was here. Topic number two, I have some ideas for 2020 plans for roundtables. Going to take a moment to reflect on the situation in Australia and Puerto Rico. We have a term for this episode. Exposum. Sounds like something out of Harry Potter. Have you heard of the Pollinators film? We're going to host two showings with the Northwest Branch. Oops. I'm going to talk about a conflict with a cause and how it relates to beekeeping. We'll do a review of the upcoming spring tour, and it's customary we'll wrap it up with some closing comments, but of course, first, it's time to get to the Local Hive Report. Local Hive Report, I'm going to do this one just a little bit differently based on the circumstances. The last time I checked in was literally the day before I left for Africa, but there were some things to talk about that probably didn't get emphasized in the impact on the final part of the end of the year and I'll I'll explain myself in a second here. I thought overall from a beekeeping standpoint it was a pretty good year. However I want to say it was early October I hurt my back which is I did something where I probably ruptured a disc It might have even been in September, and it took me September, October, and I was still really super tender and sore when I got on the plane to fly to Africa in early November. As such, one of my bigger concerns was re-injuring myself or getting healthy, and I really didn't do much with my bees. I mean, I fed them a little bit in September and October, but as far as those final inspections and doing any treatments or or mite monitoring or whatever. It didn't happen because I really couldn't lift boxes. I was injured. You could say, if you want to think of it this way, from mid-August on till September, I don't remember when I did my last physical inspections. And by the way, hurting my back had absolutely nothing to do with beekeeping. I was just standing in the garage and bent over, not even lifting, not doing anything, and pop it went but uh, my my commentary was I was basically a treatment free beekeeper the last quarter of the year I really didn't do anything and I was in Africa through till December 1st and the bad news is on the way home probably on the plane I picked up a cold and by the day after I had gotten home I had this really awful head cold I stayed home the first week from work after getting back because I didn't want to make anybody sick. And it was an awful cold. And, you know, as I talked to a lot of people who were sick over the holidays, myself included, Sharon had it, Brian had it. 
it went from my head down to my chest and I didn't go to the doctor because that's just the way I am but I probably had something close to bronchitis and so that was awful and then I was just about getting better my son Danny came from Seattle which was great he and his fiance stayed with us through till the beginning of January and for fun one day we went to play airsoft which is like BB guns play inside you shoot plastic pellets and I twisted my ankle more like sprained my ankle more like strained my ankle more like oh my god I hurt my ankle so bad <laughs> that even to this day as I sit here I can feel the twinge I strained or sprained or did something to the Achilles tendon across the back of my heel up until the calf. And through the whole holiday break, even going back to work and into January, up until about a couple days ago, I couldn't really bend my ankle. And yes, rest, ice, compression, elevation, massage, all those things. I've been doing whatever I can, but the research that I did on it, no, didn't go to the doctor. <laughs> It's just my nature, folks, um, indicates that it's going to take a long time for this to heal. So today I went for a three-mile walk, and I walked on the treadmill earlier this week at the gym. And while it hurts, it's functional. And I think it's probably going to take about another month ago to subside. So we'll, we'll see. But it's not meant a lot... Um, of good karma for the bees because I've just ignored them being injured and not feeling well. I think the bees feel the same way. Uh, last look I had at the bees January 12th. Now somewhere during that holiday break I did go out with some help from thankfully Sharon and Brian. We put insulation and Daniel, sorry should say that. It was probably more Daniel than Brian. We put insulation on the hives. I found that the last hive in yard two was dead. I looked at the hive, lot coming and going, and I could recognize right away that it was being robbed. And when I opened it up and looked, it was no good. Now, it was funny because it's been cold, cold enough that the bees were not flying. But that January 12th, there was a 60-degree day. And I knew walking up to that hive, it was not functional. Uh, the reason I say that is I'm going to come to a point later about that. So let's just put a pin on that hive and we'll go down through the yard and talk about what's going on. If I go down to the other end where I usually start, pad number one, that's the package hive that I did this year from Northwest. I opened it up on that warm day to take a look at it. It looks awful. It was two full boxes when I left struggling to get started it had two failed queens earlier in the year gave it a third queen actually courtesy of bob Kloss, and it just never got started and i fed and fed the thing until i left but it was a small cluster at best when i left to go to africa well now it's down to two frames so i couldn't leave it in two frames it was never going to make it I did one more Hail Mary, which was I collapsed the box down, literally. Now, this goes to the adage that I talk about sometimes. If you know the hive's not going to survive the winter, what's the point of leaving it there? Do something. So even on that 60-degree day where I didn't want to open the hives, I cracked the thing up, I dismantled it, I put the bees down in the center, center of uh, colony box one deep, loaded them with resources, and then I transported that hive down the other end over another hive, and I put a screened board in between the two. It's a double screen. So the heat from the bottom hive can pass through the double screen into that hive, and then I put a uh, emery shim underneath it so the bees could exit from the top but not go in the bottom. And the emery shim was out the back. So in essence, I made two hives sitting on top of each other. That's the simplest way to say it. The fate of that hive, I'll get to that in a second. The next hive is the polystyrene hive. Now this hive I haven't been in since August. I fed it. 
I don't know how good it's doing. I didn't want to open it. I usually have a lot of faith in NetHive. Well, this year I am supreme faith to, to see that it's getting through. And the last time that we had a warm day, I checked on it and it was flying. The double deep next to it, I think it's average. Not a large cluster, but hoping it's going to make it through. The next hive, pad four, is the eight frame hive. This hive has never made it through winter. I don't know if it's cursed or what. When I saw it last, it looked like it was getting robbed. There was eight billion bees flying around it. Now, it's funny. I don't know. I wanted to, to have a sidebar on this. I don't know what's wrong with this hive. I don't know if it was being robbed or whether it was some mass orientation cleansing flight going on. I could talk out of what I say both sides of my mouth. On one hand, it sure looked like it was getting robbed. There was just so much coming and going at the hive entrance for that type of day that it seemed impractical. And it honestly looked like the other hive that I saw being robbed earlier. But on the other hand, there were some bees doing orientation flights. And there didn't seem to be that customary robbing wrestling at the end. You know, a lot of times, which, which is really strange, in a robbing situation, you would think that free eats come on in. But you see bees, for some reason, protecting the entrance. I see that all the time. If I was going to put my money down, I'd say that the hive was getting robbed and it's toast. So, we'll see. I didn't want to open it. This is a really key thing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it was getting robbed or whether it was uh, uh, some sort of cleansing something going on. Because... If it was the cleansing thing, I don't want to open it up and break the propolis seals. And if it is getting robbed, it doesn't matter. It's getting robbed, so bees are getting fed. Moving on, next pad, Layin's Nuke. I think this hive is doing okay. On this warm day, they were all clustered right at the entrance. I saw a lot of flying, normal activity. I think it, it's doing okay. I'm really hoping this hive makes it through. It's small, but it's insulated. So I'm kind of thinking that, you know, it stands a pretty good chance. Moving down the other end of the property, second apiary, Hive 9. Hive 9, Pad 9, looks good. It's the one hive I saw that looked okay. Boy, I hope that doesn't curse me to say that, but it had a large cluster. It had okay stores. And if I were going to put money down, that's the hive that's going to make it for sure. Hive number 10 is a weak hive. It didn't look really good. Um, this is the one that I put the package over top of. We'll see. It's insulated. All the hives that were alive got insulated, by the way, on that day. Next hive is a 5 over 5 nuke. Insulated it. Saw tons and tons and tons and tons of activities going, and it looked like it was getting robbed. I thought that hive was really weak when I looked in on it. That one I did crack the cover and take a look down. So, hard to say. We'll do a watch on that, but I'm, I don't have high hopes for that. I still insulated it, though, so we'll see. And then the last hive was the one that was dead and was being robbed. So now I'm going to come back to that topic. This is uh, one of those kind of interesting moments, exploratory moments. We talk about mite bombs all the time. Does a mite bomb exist from this hive? Let's talk that through. The hive was probably moderate when I left for Africa. It possibly had mites, but the funny thing was is I did mite checks all the way through my hives in late August and all my levels were okay. So maybe it did or maybe it didn't. I don't know. It could also have been impacted while it was gone, meaning it got into mites somehow or, or maybe the mite threshold went up. Who knows? Let's not speculate on that. Let's assume that it was a 
eh, hive, and it had some mites in it. And because of some sort of mite impact, it didn't make it through the winter. Now, if that hive succumbs in the dead of winter, it's cold outside. And when the hive dies, nothing's flying. So if it was a mite bomb, as they have deemed this type of thing, where other bees come in and rob the hive and they pick up the mites who are trying to survive, it can't be a mite bomb because it died in the cold when the bees weren't flying. And after it dies, the mites die too. Now let's pretend that three, four weeks later, you get that one warm day. And I will say that the whole time I was in Africa, and after I got back through the month of December, it wasn't until that January 12th day that we had what I'll call a reasonably good flight day. Now sometimes the bees, I see them flying at 40, 45 degrees if they're desperate, but a lot of times they're not. And I've walked the yard a couple times in that month of December, early January. Now I didn't see any bees flying. On that day, January 12th, they were all flying. Every hive in the neighborhood was flying. And the bad news was, I saw the bees coming in, and as they were leaving, they weren't flying out and going back to my hives. They were flying across the field over to my neighbor's hives. So if I was a mite bomb, he's taking all my mites back. But again, go back to my rationale. If this hive died sometime in December or January when it was cold, the mites have long been gone. And to prove that fact, when I discovered that hive was not alive, I broke it apart. And I took a look at it. And it went down and I found a little tiny cluster dead on top of frame two in the bottom box. Queen and all. There weren't any bees. They were dead down on the bottom board. So all that was left was stores of honey. In fact, the matter is I popped those stores out, a couple of those frames, and I took them over to hives next door and I popped out some empty frames and gave more food to the bees that I had uh, that were alive. So, so just if, uh, I don't know what made me think about this mite bomb thing dynamic, but um, I kept thinking, boy, I hope I'm not uh, polluting my neighbors. But the more I thought about it, the more I worked it out that, nope, that, that was highly unlikely to be the case. Now, if you're in the middle of summer or fall or whatever and you've got a hive that has high mite thresholds and it's going down, you'd be better off closing it off so you're not impacting your hives in your yard and your neighbor's yards. So, local hive report, eh, I really wish they were doing better. I wish all my hives were stronger. I feel like I'm in that typical cycle which is going to end up with a couple hives getting through and again another year where good intentions kind of got derailed by problems and that's going to lead me to talk a little bit about my 2020 plans and uh, an approach to kind of sort that out so local hive report well it's a mixed bag we'll see Yeah, I, I just don't don't have good feelings about it, but I am past the point of being concerned. I know that uh, whatever happens, we'll get through, and uh, we'll have a good 2020 beekeeping season. So, local hive report, check. All set. Let's go ahead and move into topics for the episode. Topic number one, I call this one early morning. Sunday morning, November 24th. It's about 8.30 in the morning. I'm sitting here with Kai. Uh, say your last name, Kai, so we get it right. Hishert. Hishert. We uh, just went and worked some bees. Yeah, lovely, huh? What, about six, eight hives, I think? Uh, eight hives we worked through. Got about four supers full of honey. Very nice. And two weak swarms. One we hopefully get a queen. We found a kept queen cell and put it into the weaker swarm, which had no queen. So hopefully that'll come out a virgin queen and hopefully we can get the swarm back up and running. Found a cap queen cell with that one, and I gave them some fresh new brood, so I think they'll be good to go. Yeah, that little snippet you just heard is a recording that I made with Kai after working bees with him on that November 24th last year in South Africa, 
We were in Pretoria, and we went out to one of his apiaries. Guy's a local beekeeper that I hooked up with, and one of my plans while I was there working was to see if I could take my Sunday off and meet up with a beekeeper. Actually, I will share, if you know a little bit about me, that they have a racetrack in South Africa in Pretoria, outside of it, called Kailami. And this racetrack used to run Formula One back in the day and, and was a pretty significant venue. But when apartheid happened, it all fell apart and the track has been sitting dormant. Well, lo and behold, the one Saturday I had off on the three weeks that I was out there, that track reopened and I got to take in a GT. So it was a great weekend. But part of it was, I, even though I put sunscreen on, I was a, just a touch sunburned on my shoulders, back of my neck, and so on. And that plays into Sunday morning. Kai picked me up at the hotel in his Toyota. 6.30 in the morning. And when I said to him while we were driving out to the site, why so early, it turns out. And again, I, I don't know. That little snippet you just heard is part of an interview that I did with him, which I'll play the, in its entirety in the next show. And I'll talk about that at the closing comments. But... um I may have mentioned this in the interview is he commented to me, you need to work the bees early. You, you can't be there in the middle of the day when they're most active because the more active they are, it seems the more aggressive they are. There was a trait with them where we learned that unlike our bees, when they have lots of honey and they protect our stores, their bees, when they're on the nectar flow, become extremely aggressive. I thought that was an interesting change in biology between their bees and our bees. When our bees are on the nectar flow, it seems they don't want anything to do with anything other than going out and harvesting. So working as bees, it was uh, interesting. Now I've worked bees in Malawi. Uh, these are the same kind of bees. Scutaleta is the uh, race. I will say in my 10 years of beekeeping this is the first time i put on a full head-to-toe suit he brought the gear for me and i joked with him that i've never worn that before and i put the suit on and i got admonished because i put the suit how did i do it i put the boots over the suit and he said no 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 that's not going to do you need to put the suit over the boots and just little touches he gave me a pair of gloves and then when he walked over he looked at me strange like I was missing something and eventually he said to me you're, you're supposed to wear a jacket over that so he wanted me to wear a full head-to-toe suit and a jacket and I thought that was kind of odd well the jacket he had was a little small a little snug for me and I said no I'll be okay and he thought it was incredulous but the funny thing was I didn't get stung and I am the king of getting stung, but I didn't get stung by not wearing that jacket. And I stood in there with a the video camera and uh, took pictures from the, you know, with my uh, camera that I brought. And we had a GoPro set up. And so anyway, we worked a couple of his hives. And I won't go further into that because you're going to listen to the interview. But it was, it was great. Um, really enjoyed the moment. Afterwards, we, we went to... A coffee shop right outside the hotel where I was staying and we got to talk and talk a little bit about the dynamic of beekeeping there uh, specifically around the industries he's a commercial guy and he's also surprisingly enough working with Malawi beekeepers and he's an educator so he has a lot going on I'll share a couple things about the operation no top bars uh, Kai is part of a huge, from what I could see, beekeeping association, and they use Langstroth hives, and they have access to equipment. So one thing that was a surprise to me, at least, is Malawi had nothing. They were where we were. It was extremely poor. Equipment wasn't available. There were no suppliers, no anything. On my trip, I went to Kenya, and in Kenya, I met guys that were beekeepers. In fact, one of the IT guys that I was working with in the International Cancer Institute had hives at home. And we were trying to figure out how I could get to his place. I was almost insistent on it, 
but whatever happened, our schedule was just so jam-packed every single day that it never worked out. The closest I got to a hive in Kenya was the property next door to the Cancer Institute had hives on it. Everything's high security. All the buildings and properties are, you know, surrounded by eight-foot-high fences. And there's guards that guard the gate when you go into the Institute. It's a different place, of course. And I was able to convince my handlers to let me go out the front gate and walk down the road to the corner and take my camera and take pictures of the hives over the property next door. They thought that would be okay, and they let me go. <laughs> so um, they were Langstroth hives. They looked awful. I don't know who was taking care of them. They did look like they had bees in them, but... Yeah, so then you go to Pretoria, which is in South Africa. South Africa has its base, a lot of its wealth, by diamonds. They had diamond mines there. And the cars are nice, the buildings are nice, the, the houses are nice. It's as nice, the streets and everything in South Africa, that part of it, is as nice or nicer than some places I've been to in the U.S. So Kai's group, they all use Langstroth hives. Now, they're not as fussy as we are. Their hives aren't as pretty. They're not finger joints. They they have them sitting on the ground, most of them, from what I saw, his stuff. Uh, one or two he had on these little hive stands, but no crown board. They just use a piece of plastic or whatever for an inner cover, and they put it right down and uh, put, put the roof right down over top of it. And, yeah, they don't fuss over their hives. No, they had conventional frames and everything looked Langstroth from there. Um, while we were running his operation, you could hear him say in that little snippet that I shared with you that we harvested honey. Well, when you harvest honey there, you pull the frame out and you shake the bees off as best you can into the roof. And then even though there's bees flying everywhere, you walk them back to your vehicle and you put them in an empty box and you bring another frame and you put it in. Then you get in the vehicle fully clothed and you drive down away from the site with the windows open and then you stop alongside the road where there are no people and you open all the doors and you let the bees out. And even until we left, drove all the way out of the complex where we were, we were still wearing our suits sitting in the car. Now, the funny thing was is they have security guards patrolling this site that he was. It was like a professional complex, I would say, almost like um, an office park in the U.S. And we went through this check gate and then down this side road and walked in, drove in this little little tiny driveway. You would never know it was there into his bees. So obviously the bees are so aggressive there that wherever they have them, they have to be in isolation from the public. But when we pulled out to the street and opened all the doors, one of the security guards from the front gate was riding up on his bicycle. When he saw the two of us hop out in our spacesuits, understood because people there under know what the concept is about the way the bees behave. He stopped, and Kai told him to stop and turn around and go the other way. We saw him later when we were leaving. He was in the gate, and he asked how everything was going, and he didn't get stung, of course. Now, I got stung once in the car after we stopped and let all the bees out. I took a glove off and went to uh, look at something on my GoPro camera, and I didn't realize there was a bee on the back, and I pinched it and got stung on the fingertip. So I got my venom shot. Um, all in all, great experience. Had a lot of fun. It was it was comfortable, not terribly hot in that suit. And, you know, I got to see a little bit about how he did it and shoot some video and get a sense of it. So, uh, to me, mission accomplished. It was a nice way to spend my Sunday morning. We were wrapped up by the time I got to go get lunch and just chill out for the rest of the Sunday on my one day off through the whole thing. So uh, what I said before was I went Saturday to the races and got sunburned. Well, I put that suit on and it was a little touchy because it was a little snug for me. I'm a big, bigger fella. And um, it was a large and I usually wear an, an XL or a 2X sometimes depending on what it is. So... Yeah, that sunburn wasn't wasn't too comfortable in that suit, but 
Um, I just have to say thanks to Kai. Uh, it was not awkward at all, and we just hit it off. Had a had a good conversation. We got to exchange information, and that's what I think it's about. You know, I would encourage you as as funny as that sounds, wherever you go, find a beekeeper. Uh, I was talking to Bob Kloss this past weekend. He's leaving to go to Guatemala, and I'm like, well, why don't you call somebody? See if you could find a beekeeper while you're there. So, yeah, I'm all for that, trying to find it, and I had a great time. And uh, I'm looking forward to sharing the interview with you. I'll say now, I was going to say in the closing comments, is uh, next week I plan to produce that episode with just the one-on-one -on -one with Kai and put that out along with a couple other things maybe. So um, look for that to be a follow-on to this topic. And of course, I've got to end the topic with a appreciative thanks to Kai Heschert. Uh, just really um, went out of his way to make me comfortable and and uh, answer any questions and, and make it a good day for me. And uh, gave me a jar of honey, which... I have to tell you, you heard that, you'll hear that at the end of the uh, episode that you're going to hear. It's amazing. I mean, it's just some of literally the best honey I've ever had. Incredible. I brought it home and Sharon tasted it and we're going to covet it for sure. So, Kai, if you hear this, thank you. Thanks to you for uh, the hospitality. It's it's just an incredible time we had there. Thank you. Topic number two, call this one housekeeping. I've been away for a little bit, and now you get to understand why. Over the break, um, you know, I was sick, and then I hurt my ankle. I haven't been too mobile, but I have been in the house, and it gave me the opportunity to plan. One of the things I had on the docket for the holiday break, which was to rebuild the operation here in my man cave, I basically ripped the office down and then rebuilt it in the way that it should have been built. If you're familiar with the movie A Christmas Story where he's trying to adjust the plugs and he touches it and power goes out and he says, don't touch a thing, that's what my office looked like. <laughs> I had power strips with stuff piled on them and wires going everywhere. And uh, yeah, I just couldn't stand working in that atmosphere anymore. You know, after almost 10 years of doing this and and getting stuff that just piles up around you you eventually get to the point where you reach the threshold and and you're going to do something about it and that's what happened uh, along the way built three new computers new one for myself took the old one that I had and repurposed it for Sharon and I had a 2011 that tells you how old media server where I store all the podcast stuff all the videos that I shoot for the YouTube channel and other things and it was time to retire that or at least repurpose it. I have terabytes of stuff stored, duplicates, things that just got thrown out. And I went through all of it, cleaned it all up, put, I said, let me think about this. There's 11 terabytes of storage on my local machine right here in front of me. I have nine terabyte of storage in a network detached storage that I back it up to. And then one of the reasons was I built this central box in front of me that I can upload to the cloud. So I'm doing that also. You know, you want to have a backup to your storage and then, in, God forbid, something happens in your office. You want to have it in the cloud so you can recover. Sharon got a new computer, new windows for that, new windows on my machine. And I took the old media server and rebuilt that with Windows to make a utility box for the operations. So everything's in really good shape. I, I went as crazy as mounting my power strips and rewiring everything and, you know, taking cable ties. And Bob Kloss was in my office, uh, stopped by, and he was amazed. He said, I could really tell what a difference it is, uh, the the changeover that occurred in the room so i you know i'm it feels good to work in here and i'm really happy about that uh, i'm i'm good that i got the entire uh, network storage and sync taken care of the other thing we did was rebuild the network in here new uh, wireless network in the house and hopefully that will help 
with my broodminder cell that was out in the yard I extended the Wi-Fi out and so we'll find out in the spring how that works so yeah there's been a significant change in the backstory with this and uh, it just took a little while but there's something about having a clean well organized place to work and I am working from home more often uh, for my real job so I also have this nice space to the left of me here all set up uh, switching gears while I was doing this reflecting of course of trying to get everything in shape to to continue the program uh, it dawns on me that there's just been too many gaps I put together these somewhat elaborate shows and there's a lot of work that goes to that and the in-between sometimes suffer I'm contemplating a new type of show it's called the check-in episode the theme is it's what's on my mind and beekeeping is always on my mind I'm always talking to someone or doing something related to beekeeping so I figure I'll just record these short episodes 15 30 minutes whatever they end up being just to check in I I liken it to something I heard on 99% Invisible podcast called Tofu where Roman Mars the host indicated that certain things just go with everything that's the way tofu is described in the food world you could mix it with anything and it still tastes good and it complements whatever you're mixing it in so these are tofu episodes but I can't call them that because people wonder what the heck I'm talking about so check-ins case in point I had a thought the other day about Queens I know this is not revolutionary but just a, something on my mind if you have a queen failure your chance and your opportunity for success is all around the time that it occurs that's common sense right but it's an interesting thing to deliberate if you have a queen failure in the fall you're not in a good place but if it happens in the spring where there's materials that you can have the bees raise a new queen or freely lots of queens for sale or whatever it's a totally different dynamic and one that when I teach new beekeepers I have to give them their perspective because they haven't thought through that thing so that might be a good topic for a check-in and I have a bunch of other ones thinking along that ways switching gears one more time I started thinking about the 2020 operation here at the beekeepers corner what am I gonna do with my hives I'm mixed I'm gonna talk out of both sides of my mouth here first time I'm gonna say is I'd like to simplify and there's a topic coming up where I'm gonna refresh the organization I'm not gonna talk about that on this show I'll save it for the next one but that's in my mind of what's the game plan to redo a lot of stuff I've been keeping bees for 10 years and I have comb that's been hanging around that long and I I'm not blaming this but I'm also being practical now I've been rotating some of my comb out but maybe it's time to make a change and that's what I'm going to talk about in a future episode that being said that doesn't mean I want to keep more bees I just need to reset the operation my plan this year if I can get to it is catch a lot of swarms get my top bars running get my waray back in service and take some of these Langstroth hives that I have and get into out yards I really want to know it's time whether I could put bees at a location that I've know is good from other beekeepers and see if I can have better success with nutrition uh, I have a couple places in mind one of them surprisingly is right up the street and we'll see how that works out so I have all these plans and I'll talk more about them as the spring approaches I would love to to catch some swarms too maybe it'll be a good swarm year and we'll be able to do all that so yeah operation in 2020 have lots of plans we'll just see what they get you know this is what I say to every beekeeper think about your year whether you're new how are you going to get started or redoing this again make your plans and there's two types of plans one you're going to commit to and one you're going to aspire to and I right now I'm not willing to say what I'm going to commit to I'm talking about what I'm aspiring to do <laughs> that's the way the world rolls so topic number two yeah 
been away for a little while, but I'm going to be better for it. My computer's not crashing anymore. My files are all organized. Uh, it's just something every once in a while I got to take a break from life. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested in the 2020 beekeeping season. Uh, sometimes I, I wonder if I have enough fortitude to go, but then you get to this January, February time of year and you get all excited again for it and it hasn't worn off. So here we go, 2020. Uh, only had two topics for this episode, so let's go ahead and turn to the roundtable part of the show. Let's go to the back of the book and hit a couple odds and ends topics. Roundtable number one, I call this one empathy. I'm really not a fan of the phrase thoughts and prayers. It sure seems hackneyed, which if you never knew what that meant, and I had to look it up to be sure I was using it right, conveys the idea that a phrase or idea lacks significance through having been overused, and it's considered trite and unoriginal. I'm talking about the situation going on in Australia and people haven't made this connection in Puerto Rico. So empathy because I am a beekeeper and I understand what it's like to struggle in beekeeping. And I don't like to see anyone struggle. And of course the situation going on there in Australia is just awful. Now I don't know how I missed this. Maybe it was when I was in Africa it all started. I, I don't honestly know the origin or timing of it. Maybe when I was sick and out of commission, my computer was down and I wasn't reading the news every day. But I've since caught up to how bad the situation is out there in Australia. And, you know, it makes me think also, not too long ago we were talking about how the hurricane came through and wiped out Puerto Rico and all the bees there. Now, just last week, or week before, I think it was last week, they had earthquakes. And the report from the beekeepers there were that the earthquakes and the earth shaking, bees don't like that, and they left the hives. So bad becomes even worse for the people in Puerto Rico. One of the other side effects that I think about both of these situations is that the loss of habitat and more specifically the loss of genetics and stock. Now, that's even more important in my way of thinking because in Puerto Rico, as we've reported on the program in the past, Africanized bees were being tamed through selection. People weren't tolerating nasty bees and they were killing them, but the bees that were blending with the European bees were becoming less vicious and you were starting to see the potential to have stock that could be seeded elsewhere to correct the problem of Africanized bees being too hostile in areas of population. Now, that clock got reset when the hurricane came through and wiped out, I think, some 80% is what I think. I'm making that up, but, uh, but that's the number I recall of the bee population in Puerto Rico, which is awful because all those genetics just went away. Yeah, so how do you share the sentiment of a personal connection and heartfelt angst over something that is not directly personal yet it affects you at a personal level? I, I just am heartbroken over both of these situations. So I turn and say that it matches up on how I feel uh, when any time, you know, you hear people who lose their bees during floods or this whole colony collapse disorder, it's, it's some sort of connection with the brethren that we have. And so, yeah, thoughts and prayers. God, I hate that statement, but certainly thoughts for those folks and hoping they're doing okay. I'm glad that there are some taking action to drop food off. Let's not forget about the people and, and other livestock and birds and, you know, as much as we love the bees, all the other impacts to it. And hopefully that's something good will come out of that situation. So we'll keep an eye on that. 
Roundtable number two, I'm going to throw in a term for this episode and talk about where I came across this. I was trying to determine for queen problems, what are all the things that impact a queen? You have uh, poor mating, queen wasn't handled right, queen gets killed by beekeeper and so on. And what I hypothesized is there's two ways to think of queen problems. Three, if you think about it. One, it works. You know, you think about a queen is supposed to live three to five years. Realistically, it's probably one, two, three is best, but not very common in my estimation experience. Two years. In the course of installing a queen from the beginning, the problems that occur with the queen are typically around handling and things like that. And then afterwards, the situation with the queen has a lot to do with the genetic makeup. Maybe the queen wasn't all that she could be. Or maybe pesticides, maybe environment, meaning the hive roof blew off or things like that. It leads me to the term of the episode, which is exposome. Exposome is a word that I saw on a David Tarpy slide, and I said, what the heck is that? And when I read the word and went and looked it up, it made the complete connection for me. So the definition is, it is a measure of the effects of lifelong environmental exposures on health. It's all those things that don't kill you outright. And when you talk about a queen and why she doesn't live three to five years, the possibility is that the exposome, the measures and effects of long, of lifelong environmental exposures had something to do with why she didn't live up to her potential. There's a second definition I came across that has to do with physiology. It's explained as a collection of environmental factors such as stress, diet, and other things to which an individual is exposed and it can have an effect on health. Now we talk about sometimes the impact of non-lethal exposure to pesticides where the adults can handle it, but when they bring it back and give it to the larvae through food or contact storage in the wax which is lipophilic and is holding it that also could potentially have some impact on our queens so i thought that was a great word never heard it before but now it'll stick with me e x p o s o m e and thanks to david tarpey for putting that in it sums it up very well I don't know if it'll become something common lexicon for beekeepers, but uh, it does help to remind me of one of those conditions that queen problems do occur and you can't count out the lifelong environmental exposures as a factor that could be impacting honeybee health, especially the queens. Oh, wait. That's a spot I forgot to talk about. Let me not leave that last statement there. I want you to think about something. Who's always there? The queen. Larvae come and go. Bees come and go. Workers come and go. Maybe they're exposed to something over the hold of a, you know, long winter's stay. But the queen is there for years. And so if there's something where environmental exposures are causing impact, the queen's taking the full brunt of it. I, I mean, that's an interesting way to think of the world. So it's a good term. like it. Happy to have come across it. Thank you, David Tarpey, for that one. Roundtable number three just wanted to mention that the Beekeepers Association that I belong to, Northwest New Jersey Beekeepers, is hosting The Pollinators. It's a documentary movie. It's been making the rounds. You can find it on IMDb. It's going to be February 29th, 2020. The location's 
to be determined, but I think we're leading towards a movie theater that's in Frenchtown, New Jersey, which is an idyllic place, amazing, right along the Delaware River. Um, so if you wanted to make a day of it, come on out to one of our showings. That would be great. We'll be putting information out soon enough for this once the plans firm up. There was also some talk in the beginning, but I don't know where this stands, that maybe the principles for making the film will be there. And uh, there was discussion about a possible news feature to cover the event. Um, I I'm probably shouldn't be saying this out loud, but unfortunately I just did. So there it is. Uh, we'll see if that plans out. But that's not really the reason to come. The reason to come is you got to spend the day, you know, a short period of time with a bunch of beekeepers watching a cool documentary. Uh, Dave Hackenberg, the Frasers are in it. Sam Ramsey's in that video. Um, the impetus is about, I'm guessing, the plight of the bees, pollination, trucking bees across. Um, but I really don't know much more than that. I don't want to dig in. I actually just want to go sit in the theater and watch the film and let it unfold as we go through. So uh, I really haven't made a point of going and, and asking people who've seen it or or uh, looked up information about it. I, I want to be uh, kind of cold going in so I can make my own impressions and I'm looking forward to it. So February 29th, uh, I have to assume it'll be Frenchtown, New Jersey, unless it's uh, is you know announced to be somewhere else and nwba.njbeekeepers.org or just look up Northwest New Jersey Beekeepers Association when the plans are firm it'll be out there on our website I should also mention that uh, Adele who is going to be our featured speaker coming up this weekend uh, she sent a notice She's part of the Raritan Valley Beekeepers Association that there's a screening going on somewhere out there near Bridgewater. And I don't have, I'm just doing this off the cuff, the um, details. But if you look out on the web, I'm, I'm betting you could follow it. And uh, they're also hosting a screening of this. So if you can't make hours on the 29th of February, this one's coming up somewhere in the beginning of February, if I remember correctly. So... Sorry, I don't have the details of that, but if I could find them, I'll try and post them in the show notes. So, a couple opportunities to see the pollinators. And actually, if you're interested in doing it, your your club, uh, I believe if you contact the people, I don't know how to tell you how to do this, but um, they will do a private showing if you can get enough people to appear, guaranteed. So, check that out. Round table number four, call this one Oops. There's a lot of do-gooders in the world, and sometimes they end up sticking their foot in their mouth. Case in point, and I won't say the name because I don't feel the need to bash, but just pointing out a really odd situation and it has a tie to beekeeping. An American journalist wrote kind of a snarky tweet about all these people who posted their common tattoo and they all did it in symbolism to an event that occurred and it was of a bee. Of course the reporter having some background in entomology and so on according to the source that I'm reading which is the dailymail.co.uk website she pointed out that all the bees are flies because they have a single set of wings. Now here's where the sticky part comes from. Oops. The tribute was for people lost in a tragic situation for a terrorist attack in Manchester United at the Ariana Grande concert back in 2017. The reason that all of these people in solidarity chose that symbol is that Manchester, and specifically the town hall, had a mosaic 
artwork on the floor, I guess it's the floor, it looks like floor, could have been a wall, of a bee from the 1800s. And that's the symbol they chose to represent Manchester. And this reporter decided she was going to show her wisdom by indicating that a single thing was a fly. So what do you do with this? It's complicated. I don't know if she apologized or what, but um, yeah, it led to a lot of hard feelings, as you can understand and, and empathize with the fact that this is not the result of solidarity that they wanted to show by being called out on this. I'll have a link to the note of the article if you want to know the particular details. It's ironic that this occurred here because I'll point out another thing that I happened to read in the news feed about Ariana Grande. She got a tattoo once and then subsequently I believe she had it fixed where it was a fail. The symbol that she got, which was a Japanese symbol, actually represented the words barbecue grill <laughs> instead of what she really wanted. And, you know, somebody called her out on it, and somewhere down the line she went through and had it adjusted. But, you know, it was a permanent mistake. That's, that's an oops. I guess the moral of the story is tattoos are not a lot of fun. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. I've always harbored the idea would I ever get a tattoo, and of course it would be of a bee. But, yeah, let me not be snarky. It, it would be anatomically correct. You know, look, you're great for these people to have that remembrance, and I love that they picked a bee as a symbol. And I loved looking back to historical representations of this kind of stuff. The fact that they chose that symbol to me is, is just neat. Uh, it tells a story. It's a shame that this mess occurred, but it is what it is, and we move along. Roundtable number five called this one the spring tour. Every spring I like to try to go out and take in a couple meetings, this year being no different. A little bit different to this spring. I'm teaching a couple. Uh, January 14th, as a matter of fact, I spoke at the Essex Beekeepers Association. Uh, Bob Kloss and I rode up there and I gave a presentation on non-Langstroth hives. I was a guest of, uh, a suggested topic guest of Landy Simone, who said she was interested in that and had a good time presenting that. It's always fun to get your creative juices flowing to try and figure out how to present a topic like that. And I was pretty happy with the way it went off. And the good news is, <laughs> I'm glad it went off well, because February 15th, I'm heading down to Maryland to their state meeting. And I'm a double billing with Kim Flottam on the card. Uh, we're both doing two presentations that day, February 15th. Sharon's going to go with me. I'm doing the frame game that I did at EAS. And I'm doing the non-Langstroth one. I offered them a number of choices, and they picked that one. So I'm glad it went well for Essex. February 22nd, teaching uh, an hour-long segment or so at the Raritan Valley uh, Short Course. They're doing a beginner's beekeeper. Um, hence the commentary earlier. The presentation is on queen problems and queen rearing. I'm a little concerned about trying to fit that in. I'm just trying to keep the perspective that it's for new beekeepers. I don't need to wow them with overwhelming. I need to keep a doggy ducky horsey. Yeah. So upcoming meetings I'm going to. January 31st, the meeting I mentioned a moment ago, Northwest is having Master Beekeeper Adele Barry as the speaker. She's talking about corbicula. Corbicula, corbiculae, wait a minute, corbiculae. <laughs> this is funny as I, I stumbled upon this and it took me a minute to grasp. Corbicula, single A, is a single leg and it's what you call the pollen basket. Corbiculae, A-E, are both of them. On a bee, that's what they call them. It's plural versus singular. I always try to wrap my brain around 
which way to say it. She's speaking on corbiculae, and no, my pronunciation's probably not right. Pr pronounced, yeah, because I'm tired. By the way, Kevin moment, first one of the year. <laughs> Do you hear my chair squeaking? Kind of, maybe it's coming through. I have a new chair. Santa brought me a new chair by accident. Ordered two of them. <laughs> There's a pad on the back of this chair, and every time I move, it squeaks. So the pad's got to go. I I got rid of the squeaky chair only to have a squeaky chair. Uh, the following day is the New Jersey Beekeepers meeting, New Jersey Beekeepers Association. It's going to be hosted in Bordentown. At the Eco Complex, Keith Delaplane from Georgia has given two talks. First one is Queen Multiple Mating and its Significance for Bee Breeding. And the second one is Disease Mite Epidemiology. <laughs> wow, I am tired. Can I say that word? Epidemiology. Now that I'm staring at it, I can't. I hope you know what word. I mean, I'm not, I just can't do it. <laughs> my brain is soup right now social evolution what clues beekeepers could take from all of this from good management i i saw keith speak one other time and it happened to be at the eco complex about four or five years ago always a good time from georgia he's fun gonna hang out with justin schiffler on that one bob's out of town uh he's not going to be there in fact on february 15th when I'm speaking in Maryland, Bob and uh, one of his mentees, they're heading to the Philly Symposium. So there's a conflict for me. I don't get to take that in this year. I am going to the Chester County Beekeepers Association Annual Conference. Randy Oliver's going to be there. Les Crowder's going to be there. There's another person named Deborah Klugers. Don't know her, but interested to see that. And, of course, the big meeting this year for us, August 3rd, going to attend EAS in Maine. You know, it's funny as I'm not sure whether I get to speak there or not. I haven't heard anything on the plans. I saw the announcement the other day come out. and had a list of all the speakers. I'm not on it. I would like to speak since I'm going to be there, but we'll see. Yeah. So, there's a lot of stuff going on, and I should mention... Um, Bob Kloss is heading back to Africa. I passed on this trip. They're going back to Malawi with Tim Schuler. I know Grant Stiles is going, and they have a contingent of beekeepers from all over the place going on that trip. So I'm excited to see how Bob makes out. The trip is a little bit shorter this go-round. I think we were there 10 days. They're going for 7 or 8. Um, but I I'll be happy to hear how they made out. Uh, meeting the people we uh, met with when we were in Malawi back in 2018, uh, how far they progressed, and Bob's going to go check that out firsthand. So I have to have him on the show when he gets back just to hear how things went. So I think you can tell by my inability to pronounce epidemia. I still can't say. I just said it perfectly like three times and now I'm trying to say it again. I can't. I can't do it, so I'm going to skip it. <laughs> but I'm to the closing comments. Yeah, I'm beat. And you know what? I got to I got to do something for work for tomorrow morning after I record this and post it all or whatever. So I think I'm going to cut it here. Um Kai Heisert, he's going to be our episode for next weekend. And I have to say this weather I named this episode weather for a purpose my man Huey Lewis was on TV this morning Sunday news program he was on and and uh, Bill Gibson the drummer and Johnny Cola the saxophone guitar guy for Huey Lewis in the news were also on the program they were speaking about Huey's condition and the band and the fact that they have a new album coming out of songs they recorded before they pulled the plug on his ability to go any further with the band unless his condition changes. And the title of the album is Weather. And 
What's funny is I learned during that segment that the name of the new album is a play on the news part of Huey Lewis and the News, if I understood it right. Of course, they're the news. And the big hit album that Huey Lewis and the News had was sports. And so you would expect if you were going to accompany the news with sports and weather. If I understood it right, that's the catalyst to the title. I hope I got that right. Now, Huey Lewis and the News album, Weather, coming out live. I've already placed my order for it. February 14th, Valentine's Day. On that day, my honey and I will be leaving, heading down for the meeting that I just talked about in Maryland. So we'll be able to listen to Huey Lewis on the way there. How cool is that with my sweet honey, Sharon? What a great Valentine's Day present. I'll have a link to the Amazon place where you can buy the album. It's only got seven songs on it, but I don't care. They're, they're good ones. And, yeah, neat. All right, I think it's time. Stick a fork in me. Like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, we accomplish great things. Thanks for listening, and be well, everyone.